It's a blessing to have the music, and it really adds to the worship. It really does, and it adds to, the, to this meeting, too, and so we're very thankful, and Gloria and Randy and also Joe, who plays for us, and it's, it's a tremendous blessing. The Lord in our church has given us so much musical talent, and we're very thankful for it, and it's all from him. It's all by his grace, and we're very, very appreciative of it. Shall we just uh, open in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just pray that you will direct this meeting, that you will speak to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Lord, you know what we need to hear today. You, you are the one who is the sovereign God, and we just pray that you will take your word, Lord, and apply it to wherever it's needed in our lives today. Please hide me behind the cross, and please speak clearly through your word, Lord. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, every day I walk to work, almost every day I see them. The homeless are there in San Francisco, and it's a sad thing. You walk by, and sometimes you don't see them. The only time you don't really see them early in the morning when I go to work is on a rainy day. They've fled somewhere to stay out of the rain, but other than that, they're sleeping on the pavement. One man I saw sleeping face down, face down on the hard street there in San Francisco. Many times they're just nameless people to us. We don't know who they are, where they're from. They come, they're kind of a nuisance to people. Uh, people don't like to be around the homeless and so forth. And many times uh, we don't really know their story. But you know, every one of those homeless people is a, a father to somebody. They're a brother or a cousin or a friend to someone. But they somehow have got lost in the shuffle and somehow their lives have taken a downward turn, but God loves them too, and he loves each and every person, and it's a beautiful analogy when you think of the homeless because spiritually speaking, we were homeless. We were strangers. We were outside of God's uh, covenants of promise, as it says in the scriptures, and God somehow loved us Gentiles, and he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for everyone in the world to be the Savior of all mankind. But only those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior can have eternal life, can be forgiven, and can have a new life. And there's a story of a homeless man. His name was Bill. And he was a drunken bum who wandered the streets of a large city for several years. And he spent his time in search of scrap food deposited in dumpsters. He slept under bridges and in makeshift shelters. And after 10 years of wandering the streets and out of contact with his family, he died. No one noticed. You could probably add to this, no one cared. A relative had died two years earlier than Bill and had left Bill, get this, $4.5 million in his will. The family had searched for Bill to tell him of his newfound wealth, but to no avail. Bill died penniless, though he could have claimed his wealth. He had wealth, but he didn't know it. Bill, like many of us as believers, have the riches in Christ, and yet at our disposal, and yet few of us really know how much we have as believers in Christ, how rich we are, how blessed we are to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, to have a relationship with Him is the greatest thing that we can have in this world. If you can think of anything better than that, being saved and having Christ as your Savior, 
I would have to say to you that you better go on your knees and ask God to forgive you and help you appreciate what you have in Christ. Because there is nothing in terms of money or wealth or possessions or anything else in this world, good health, good looks, anything that can compare to knowing Christ as our Savior and having eternal life and knowing that we're going to be with Him forever. That is something you cannot buy with money. And yet Jesus bought us with His blood. He bought it with His blood. And we're thankful for that. The title of our message today is Jesus Christ our Savior Changes Lives. Jesus Christ our Savior Changes Lives. Whether a person is a prisoner in the penitentiary, whether they're a homeless person on the street, whether they work in an office or go to a school or a college, every single person is a sinner and every single person is loved by God. And he doesn't want to lose any. The Bible says that he is, not, he is long-suffering and not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to have eternal life through him. And one of the most beautiful names or titles, as it were, of Jesus Christ is Savior. It can be spelled two ways. It can be spelled S-A-V-I-O-R or the old English way of S-A-V-I-O-U-R, but it's the same thing. And the word Savior can be defined as someone who saves something or someone from danger, harm, or failure, or etc. And those who know Christ have been delivered from such a tremendous thing. We have been saved from the penalty of our sin. Day by day, if we're believers in Christ, we're being saved from the power of sin. And that's a blessing. And one day, when we leave this world, we're even going to be saved from the presence of sin. And I'm looking forward to that greatly. And I know those who know the Lord are looking forward to that. But salvation is a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. God offers us to every person. And just like they couldn't find this man Bill, they searched for him, they hunted for him. There's people out there in the world. God is offering them the gift of salvation and they're wandering through this world trying to find fulfillment, trying to find peace, trying to find some happiness in this world and God's got it there for them, right there for them. All they have to do is accept it. And that's the truth for each and every person. Today we're going to look at three things. Number one, what we're saved from. Number two, what we're saved to. And number three, what we're saved for. May God speak to our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ was born to be the Savior. In Luke, in, rather, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, the name Savior, I should say, means Jesus saves, and he does save us, and we're so thankful for what he's done for us. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But the choice for sinners today is Jesus Christ on the one side or rejecting him on the other side. There is no gray area. There is no other choice. There's no neutral ground. You can't be like the Swiss. Neutral. You can't sit on the fence and say, well, 
I'm not with Jesus, but I'm not against him either. But if you're not with him, you are against him. Jesus said he was not with me, is against me. And we have to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and to make him the Lord of our life. And the moment we do that, he forgives us, he wipes the slate clean, he gives us a new life and a new hope and a new peace in our lives. How many have heard of the baseball player Ty Cobb? Now, I know he lived a long time ago, he was just before I was born, but, you know, <laughs> but he was an old-timer, and he had the all-time most hits, right, in the, in the major leagues until Pete Rose came along and he beat his record. Well, Ty Cobb was kind of a crusty old guy, and he was not very, as I understand it from the story, he wasn't really that nice of a person or anything like that, but he was a great athlete and a great person. Well, on July 17, 1961, a preacher came to visit the face, famous baseball player uh, on his deathbed to share with him how to be born again. And he said to him, he told him how to be born again, and so Ty Cobb said to him, well, you're not telling me that a whole life of sin can be done away by a deathbed repentance, are you? The preacher said, no, Mr. Cobb, I'm not telling you that deathbed repentance can do with, away with a lifetime of sin, but I'm telling you that the blood of Jesus can. And Ty Cobb was amazed, and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior into his life at that moment. I never knew that about him. He got saved at the end. And it is possible to get saved at the end of your life before you go into eternity. But we shouldn't wait that long, should we? At that moment, Ty Cobb invited Jesus into his life. And as the preacher was leaving the hospital room, Ty Cobb said to him, Now tell all my friends I'm sorry I did this in the bottom of the ninth. I should have done it in the top of the first. Isn't that true? I waited till the bottom of the ninth. And some of us will never get to the bottom of the ninth. We never know if we're going to get to a deathbed and we're going to be able to be cognizant and aware and alert to be able to understand the gospel and get saved. That's why you want to get saved in the top of the first, not in the bottom of the ninth. You don't want to wait to receive Christ. You want to do it right away. You want to do it today because no one is guaranteed tomorrow, are we? Yes, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He washes it away. And so, He does great things for us. So when we think, what have I been saved from? We should never forget where we were before we knew Jesus. He has saved us from sin. Sin had a grip on us that was like a vice grip. Nobody could break that hold. It was, it was, it was on there. You know, in, in a modern terminology, you think about these dogs, like the, and they have these with their teeth, right? And they're usually like bulldogs, or they can be like uh, pit bulls, and they get their, their teeth on them, and when their teeth is on them like that, they have to pry the dog off. They can't. It's so on that, to that person, and it's so dangerous. Well, sin was like that. It was on us. It was holding us. It was gripping us. We couldn't get free. We were sinners by nature and sinners by practice. We couldn't change it. Oh, we tried and tried and tried. I'll never do that again. I'll never sin like that again. That won't happen again. But it did. And again and again and again and again and again and again. And because we had no power to change. But when Jesus Christ came, He delivered us 
from sin. He delivered us from that grip, that penalty, because he died for our sins and he broke the chains. He set our hearts free. And that's one of the greatest things that he did. We are saved from our sins. And that is something that we can rejoice in. He's also saved us from the power of this world. You know, this world is powerful and it has a hold on people's minds. And so that's why they don't want anything to do with the Lord. They, are, they don't even want to say the name Jesus Christ. They're so afraid. Everybody wants to be politically correct. They don't want to say the wrong thing. So they, they put this thing on and the world is like wanting to squeeze everybody into this mold of being against the Lord. And so God sent his son to deliver us from this world and set us free. The other, the other person that had a hold of us was the devil. And the devil had a hold on us too. Just like sin had a tight grip on us, the devil had us. And we couldn't break free from it. And when Jesus died on the cross, he broke the power of death. And I love the, the hymn writer. It says he, broke the, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And so Jesus delivered us from sin. He delivered us from this world and he delivered us from the devil. And you know, he also delivered us from our own sinful flesh because we have now the Holy Spirit. Those who are saved have a new nature. We have the new nature. The new nature does not want to sin. The new nature wants to please the Lord and be obedient and serve the Lord. The old nature, we still have it, but that is against us. And so he delivered us from the result of our old nature. And finally, he delivered us from an eternity in hell. Amen. Now that's hard to get your mind a hold of when you hear that word eternity. We as Christians are thankful that we're going to be in heaven for eternity. But sadly, the other side of this is anyone who dies without Christ is going to be in eternity also, but they're going to be in eternity away from the presence of God in hell for eternity. It's hard to get your mind around it. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ came to rescue us from that, to deliver us from that, to take us out of death and bring us into life and say, Dean, I'm going to give you a gift, a free gift of eternal life, and you're going to be with me forever. And he says that same thing to each and every one of us. And so that's what we have been delivered from. And there's more things than that. These are just a few of the things that he's delivered us from. He's delivered us from many more, as you find in the scriptures. You know, Jesus came to rescue us from death. This week we had a lot of rain. And I don't have to tell you about that in the la over the last week, how much rain we've had. You've seen it. But here in our area, we haven't been affected that much by it. There have been some inconveniences. But down in certain parts of San Jose, there was so much rain that it flooded. And I didn't even realize it till I heard on the news that the flood was so bad that they had to go in by boats, small boats to get people out. That shows how much water there was in the streets in those areas. And it said there were some firefighters that went in in these boats to rescue people from the floodwaters. And it said they missed, they went straight through. They didn't sleep. They went through and they kept going and going until they rescued the final people that were in danger of these floods. And I thought, tremendous things. And we have the highest respect for firefighters, police officers, first responders, people that help out. Well, Jesus did something even greater than that when he rescued us from our sins and he rescued us from death. And how 
grateful we should be for that. In Psalm 106 and verse 21, we see in the Scriptures, it talks about the Savior there. And it talks about the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and it says they forgot God their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. Can you imagine if you were an Israelite and you had been saved from that, redeemed from that slavery in Egypt and there you are, you're out in the wilderness and they spent 40 years in the wilderness. They started complaining and started murmuring and started saying, where's the food? Where's the water? Where's all these things we need? And God was so patient with them, so patient with them. And Moses, what he had to put up with too. And when he says in Psalm 106, 21, it says they forgot their Savior, they forgot who had done great things for them. Sometimes we're like that too, don't we? We forget all the great things God has done for us and we focus with tunnel vision on the little problem we're going through or sometimes it's a big problem, sometimes it's a giant problem. But our focus should be on the Lord, not on the problem, so that we remember where He's delivered us from, where He saved us from. We should never forget that. The hymn writer said, and we sang it this morning, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, He to rescue me from danger interposed His precious blood. Yes, the Israelites, they complained. They murmured. And many times we're like that too. We forget. We forget all the things the Lord has done for us. And that's why the Lord brought it, brings us to the breaking of bread every Sunday morning. And he says, and it's written right on the table, in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Because he knows we're very forgetful people. And I also love what Mary said, the mother of Jesus, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 47, when she said, my soul, my soul, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Yes, we're so thankful that He has delivered us from something powerful, and He has given us a new life. So that's what He saved us from. And can't we be thankful for that, that He has saved us from all of those things? And when He saves you from it, they're not going to come back again. You know, it's not like He delivers us once from it, fights the battle, and then a year from then, or five years, ten years down the road, those same enemies come back again, and they, they attack us again, and they overrun us again. No, it's not going to happen. Jesus delivers us once and for all from sin, once and for all by his precious blood, and we are saved and saved forever, and we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And not only should we not forget what we've been saved from, but we should also never forget what we've been saved to. When you think about that, God has saved us to something. He didn't just, just deliver us and say, okay, you're delivered now, go off and live however you want to live. You're on your own now. No, he says, I'm going to adopt you into my family and I'm going to make you a child of God. Isn't that amazing? That would be like you go to the street and you, and you not only give that homeless person some food and some some resources and things. They say, no, come and live in my house. Not many of us would be willing to do that one, but God was willing to do that. He says, I want you to come and live in my house. I want to save you from your sins. I want to give you eternal life, and I want you to come and live with me. 
And that's where we're going to live in eternity. We're going to be with the Lord. And he's got a mansion prepared for each and every one of us. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. I can't wait to see mine in heaven. It's going to be great. He's not going to have a little shack for us. He's going to have a mansion for us. He's going to have a great place for us. It's going to be better than our minds can even conceive because we are his people and we are his treasure. And we're also saved to newness of life. When he saves us, he gives us a new life. He says the old life, old things passed away and the new things have come. And that is what he's given us. And he saved us also to have our names written in heaven where we will spend all eternity. That's a great blessing too. We're saved for that, to be with him. And we're also saved to have eternal life as well. And not only did he take us off the streets of sin, but brought us into the palace of holiness and righteousness. That's a great blessing. And these are just some of the things we're saved to. So we're saved from these things, and then we're saved to these things. And it's a, such a great blessing. And you know, when you're a Christian, you appreciate it more. So that when you get down on your knees and you thank the Lord, you say, Lord, I thank you that you've saved me, that you've become my savior, that you've given me eternal life. I can never repay you. But we try to repay him, don't we, by serving him. And we try to magnify him every day of our lives. But as our brother was sharing earlier this morning, it's getting harder and harder in the world because people are against Christ so much nowadays, they don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. And probably one of the worst things that happens is when you hear the Lord's name used in vain. I don't know about you, but it just, it rubs me the wrong way. It's like somebody taking, you know, your fingernails on the chalkboard or something that really makes you feel uncomfortable. When you hear the name of Jesus used in vain, it's terrible. It's horrible. It's bad enough to hear swear words. They're horrible too. But when they use the Lord's name in vain, and the sad part is they don't even know it. They don't even realize it when they say it. They don't even realize how blasphemous that is when they use the name of the Lord in vain. But what a contrast it is to see what the Lord has done for us. In 1 John chapter 3, and verse 1, we see what the Lord has, has done for us as believers, and it's so magnificent. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it does not know him. If you really want to see the difference between the two lives, I'm going to read the scriptures here in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and listen to see the difference between where we were, our former life, and to where we are now, our foremost life, in Ephesians 2. It says this, Paul writing to the Ephesians, and you, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. That is where we were. And if anybody would like to go back there, 
I would have to certify you as uh, insane, crazy, but if you want to go back to Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 and live that way again, there's something wrong, right? Because that's where we were. We were miserable, and that's exactly what our state was at that point. But thank God for verses 4 through 10. It says, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love which, which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, Amen. and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then the crowning jewel of this is, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the way we were in verses 1 to 3, and this is the way we are now in verses 4 through 10. There's no comparison. It's such a great contrast. It's tremendous. And when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have said, like we have the people that get baptized up here, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I'm not going back to Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm not going back to this world. I'm not going back to the old life that I used to live. I'm going forward with Christ to the new life he has every single day. And so many people use that expression, I want to thank my lucky stars. No, you don't want to thank those lucky stars because those stars aren't lucky. It's not because of luck. We're saved strictly by the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He picked you. He chose you. He chose me. Not because there was anything good in us, but because he loved us. He chose us to come to him, and he brought us to the place of accepting him as Lord and Savior. Many of us had to, to get to rock bottom before we got saved, and he wants you to get to that place of just utter desperation, where you've tried it your own way and lived your own way so long that you realize you can't live another minute that way. And there have been people saved right before they're going to commit suicide because they saw no way out. And yet the way out is Jesus Christ. And not only is he the way out, but he's the way up because he's going to take us up to be with him. He never takes us down. He always lifts us up. And that's the blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. I love what Martin Luther said about, about Christianity, about salvation through Christ. He said this, The life of Christianity consists of positive pronouns. It is one thing to say Christ is a Savior, and it is quite another to say He is my Savior and Lord. The devil can say the first, but the true Christian alone can say the second. Amen. And that's true of unsaved people too. They can say Christ is a Savior. They can even say Christ is the Savior, but they can't say Christ is my Savior if they don't know Him. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say Christ is is my Savior, my personal Savior. I've accepted Him. And though there are millions of Christians in the world today, and even though there's millions of Christians that have ever lived from the days all the way to the present time and will live in the future, even though there's so many, 
He knows you personally. He knows me personally. He saves each one of us personally. He is our personal Savior. And He's the one who's with us every day of our lives. Can you say that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? Or can you say He is my Savior? The hymn writer said it well. The songwriter said, He is my everything. He is my all. He is my everything, both great and small. He gave his life for me, made everything new. He is my everything. Now, how about you? And you know, we'd all like to see every one of our friends saved, every one of our relatives saved, everyone that we know, we work with, go to school with, but they have to make the choice. We can't force anyone, and God never forces anyone. He doesn't do that. He gives you the choice. He gives you the chance. And he gives you the great, compassionate gift of eternal life, if you take it. But you have to take it. And like Ty Cobb, he took it, but it was in the bottom of the ninth. Take it today, before it is too late. So that's what we've been saved from. Put that aside on that side. What we've been saved to, which is tremendous. And then the third thing is what we've been saved for. Did you ever think about it when God saved you, he had a purpose for your life? He had a purpose, and he has a purpose. So if he didn't, he would just say, okay, it's time to come to heaven. You get saved, and he takes us home. But he leaves us here because he wants us to be a blessing to other people. And so that's what he said. And so you can ask yourself, what have I been saved for? We know what we've been saved from. We know what we've been saved to. But now what are we saved for? What is our mission? What is our purpose in life? What are we, why are we here? He saved us by our, His grace so that we can be His heavenly people on earth. And we can share with others how to find Christ as Savior. And that's one of the greatest privileges we have, this side of heaven, is to be able to share what Christ has done for us. I love that verse in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. We studied it in Philippians when Adolin went through the Bible study, and it is a tremendous verse, and it says this, For our citizenship is is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior, He is our Lord, and we're waiting for Him. Sometimes we might think, Lord, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. We've been waiting a long time. But God has a timing, and we don't know it. We can't see the clock. We can't hear it ticking, but it's ticking nonetheless. And one day, when the last person gets saved, that we are prepared by God, he's going to rapture the church. He's going to take us up in an instant, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And that's why you have to be ready. That's why Ty Cobb was right. He says, I should have done it in the bottom of the first because suppose the rapture had happened. And if you have it in a nine-inning baseball game, suppose the rapture happened in the fifth inning or suppose the rapture happened in the sixth inning. You want to you be saved now because you don't want to take a chance at all. Yes, it's a blessing to know that the Lord has saved us and he's given us the privilege of living for him in this world. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says these words, For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. 
You know, when God created human beings, he created us in his image, and he created us to glorify him. But guess what? The devil came along in the form of the serpent. He tempted Eve. She took the forbidden fruit. She ate it. She gave it to Adam. Sorry, Adam. She gave it to Adam. Although if it was Elisa, would she have to? Well, she would have done it too. Sorry, Elisa. <laughs> we're all like that. If we were like Adam, we can't say, oh, I wouldn't have done it. No way. Or, or if you're a lady, you say, well, if I was Eve, I would have never done that because we, we would have done the same thing. But praise be to God for his love for us. And he created us to glorify him. And that's one of the greatest purposes we have in life is to glorify him in life and to glorify him in death and to glorify him with everything he's given us. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 31, we see the story about Peter's mother-in-law. And there's always been a lot of people that said, well, that means he couldn't have been the first pope because he was married and he had a mother-in-law. And that's true. But this mother-in-law was very sick and she had a fever. And in those days, the fever was very, very dangerous, even more so than it is today because we have so many different things that can help people with fevers. But this was dangerous. She was near the point of death. And Peter was over there with the other disciples and they were with Jesus in the house. And so they realized that Peter's mother-in-law was very sick. And they didn't just say, well, let's have a prayer meeting here. Jesus didn't gather them all together. Let's pray for Peter's mother-in-law. She needs our prayers, which is a good thing to do, to have a prayer meeting. Good thing to do. But Jesus didn't do that. He came to heal her from that fever. He came to raise her up from it. And so it says in, Luke, in Mark chapter 1, verse 31, so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her, where? Down? No, he lifted her up and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. That's amazing to me. Here she was, so weak, and if you've ever had a fever, you feel terrible, right? You feel terrible, you're cold, shivering cold, and yet you're burning up. You know how it is when you have the fever. You don't feel like eating anything, you just feel awful. Well, when she was healed of the fever, all those symptoms, all those things that had been bothering her, they were gone, gone. She felt not only a little better, not even a lot better, she felt completely better and she got up and he lifted her up and what was the first thing she did, besides thanking the Lord, I'm sure she did, but the first thing she did is she got up and served. She got up and served Jesus and all the disciples and everyone in that house. She was so thankful for what the Lord had done for her and she never forgot the day that Jesus came to her house came to her house, and she probably thought, wow, the Lord came to my house to save me from this and save me from death. And that's what he does. He comes to our homes. He comes to our lives. He comes right down to where we are. He knows how needy we are, and he comes to save us. So you can ask yourself, what is my purpose? What is my calling? What is my mission in life? It's to serve the Lord. It's to glorify the Lord. It's to be a blessing for Him. Amen. It's to proclaim that He is not only the Savior of the world, but He's the Savior of every person who accepts Him. But you know, I think sometimes things get in the way, don't they? They get in the way, and I came up with some questions that were very challenging questions, and I ask you these questions. I ask myself these questions, too. Jesus Christ has saved me. He's become my Savior. He's done all these things for me. He saved me from these things. He saved me to these things. He saved me for these things. But have I let the things, and they are things, of this world get in the way? 
Have I let things get in the way of my relationship to the Lord? Have I let things get in the way of my service for the Lord? Have I let things get in the way of my doing what God wants me to do? Or, here's another one. Have I let my job get in the way? Some people are just slaves to their job. They really are, and they work nonstop, hour after hour after hour, and they do it in the main, well, I've got to provide for my family, right? Well, yes, provide for your family, yes, but if that takes you away from the Lord and takes you away from church and from serving Him, you don't need it. You don't need it. Another one is, have I let my spouse get in the way? Oh, boy, that's, that's, that's a bad one, right? You know, they have this show on television, and you've probably seen it. It was, a, it was an old-timer, but they have a new version of it now, which is uh, uh, Family Feud. And you have the two families that are, well, feuding against each other, trying to win all these prizes in the top five or top four things. And it's amazing because sometimes we let the spouse get in the way of coming to church, of serving the Lord and being a blessing, and we shouldn't do it. Have we let friends get in the way? Well, I have friends. I've got to have friends, right? Well, yes, if you've got friends, great. Praise God for that. But if those friends are keeping you from Jesus, if they're keeping you from serving him and honoring him, those are not the right kind of friends to have. Praise God, in our church, we have a lot of friends. I consider every one of you my friends, every single one, and I'm so thankful. And I have friends at work, and they're Christians too, and, and it's a blessing. The other thing, and here's another convicting one, have I let hobbies or entertainment or television or the internet or anything in this world get in the way of my walk with Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior? Here's what it says. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord and my Savior. When we get saved, we, have, we accept him as Lord and Savior. And that's how it should always be. And he wants us to be conformed to his image. He's made you special. He's made me special, unique, and he's made us into something glorious. We're ambassadors for Christ. We're disciples for the Savior. And we're workers for him. Amen. And we're saved to be conformed to the image of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, God has a plan for us. And that plan includes growth and it includes growing daily. And if we're not growing, again, something's wrong. What do you do, Eliani, if you've got some things that are not growing, right? You've got you to you gotta take some action, right? You've got to do something to bolster that. You've got to give it some fertilizer. You've got to give it some water. You've got to do some things to, to build it up. And then if it still doesn't grow, it's plucked up and you start and you plant. And so the Lord wants us to grow. He doesn't want us to be stagnant. He doesn't want us to stay in the same place. He wants us to move forward. So he allows those trials to come and those difficulties to come to grow us to be more like Christ. And, that is, and it's interesting how we were sharing a lot of that. Milton was sharing that at the breaking of bread this morning. But God has a plan. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 18, he summarizes the whole book and the whole process of knowing Christ he says, but grow in, gra in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. You know, growing, when you grow, there's going to be some growing pains, right? When I was growing up and I was 
growing. I remember you get those pains in your legs or something. Very painful. Very painful. But the growth process is that way. Little children, when they grow, same thing. They have the teething with their teeth, the same thing. But God has a process for us to grow as Christians. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be overnight. You're not going to grow up to be this super Christian overnight. It's going to take time. But he's patient with us, and we should be patient too, because he's got a process there of growth. So we should never forget where we've come from, should we? We should never forget that we were once unsaved. We were once in darkness. We were once in dead in our transgressions and sins. We were once aliens and strangers from the promises of God. We were once without God and without hope in this world, but now he has saved us. He's delivered us from the hold that sin had on us, the devil had on us, and all the things that the world had had. And he has given us a new life, and we can be thankful for that. And not only has he saved us from these things, but he saved us to these things, to be his children, to be his people, to walk with him. And then he has said, I want you to be saved for my purposes. I want you to be my ambassador, my servant in this world today and be a blessing. Yes, it's such an encouragement. And if there's anyone here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, like Billy Graham says, now is the day of salvation. Now's the day of salvation. And if Billy Graham was here, he would have, we would have playing that song that goes, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, but, thou but now thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. And he would always tell people, and I like watching those Billy Graham crusades, he would always tell them, come. And they would come from the third deck, from the second deck, from the first deck, they would come. And hundreds of people would come up and get saved. And just think, when people get to heaven who were saved at those crusades or through any other means besides crusades, there's other ways too, are going to be in heaven because someone shared with them the plan of salvation, how to be saved through Jesus Christ. Nobody's going to be in heaven that went there on their own. They were there, they're just going to say, well, uh, I, I, I had it in my mind. And no, somebody has to share. Paul says, how can they hear without a preacher? How can, we, how can somebody know the Lord unless somebody tells them? And so when the gospel message goes out and it's powerful by the Holy Spirit, it gives you the choice, but you have to make the choice. Don't wait. Don't say, well, yeah, that's a good message, Dean. That's, that's true. I believe it. Jesus Christ is the Savior. No, I believe it. I want it. I want to accept him as my Savior, and I want to do it now. So may the Lord encourage us. Shall we just look to him in a word of prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior and our Lord. We thank you that he came down to where we live. He came down to our earth. He was not received well by people. He was rejected and scorned and disowned. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. He was crucified on the cross. But all that was in keeping with your perfect plan to save us from our sins, Lord. Peter tried to stop the Lord from going to the cross, and the Lord had to rebuke him. And the Lord Jesus Christ said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, because you do not savor the things of God, but the things of men. And Lord, we're thankful that you went to the cross, Lord Jesus, and died for us. And we thank you for all those who are here this morning. We pray that no one will go home unsaved. No one will go unsure that they're saved. 
let each person make sure before they leave these doors today that they have Jesus in their heart. All they have to do, Lord, and it's so simple, is accept that free gift. Believe that they are a sinner. Receive Jesus Christ as Savior who died on the cross for them. And so we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that today will be the day of their salvation. And so we thank you for this wonderful title that you have, Lord Jesus, as Savior. We love it because it speaks of your name. It speaks of your purpose in coming. And so we thank you and praise you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.